to God. Open your Bible to the book of Ephesians chapter 5 tonight. Open your Bible to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 17 and 18 this evening. I have a very colorful title for my message tonight, which is why I have this wry smile on my face. A sermon I've entitled this evening, Sipping Saints and Cussing Christians. I believe God is going to help us. Some preventive maintenance goes a long way. Can you say amen? Ephesians 5, verse 17 and 18 says these words. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of God is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or wastefulness, but be filled with the spirit. Some old school scriptures uh, in Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs 20 verse 1 says, wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever takes heed or, or, or is led astray by these is not wise. Verse 3 says, Proverbs 20 verse 3, it is honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start an argument. Several Christians believe, as I did before, that the spirit of the python and the spirit of Leviathan were the same, but that is not true. They are two types of Spirits that function in different ways. On one hand, where they are similar is that they are both lying spirits. But what separates them is this. The spirit of the python is a restricted spirit. You uh, read about this spirit in the book of Acts. The Bible says that, that Paul and Silas were ministering um, and there was this young woman um, and she was following them every day and she's crying out, these are the men of the Most High God who have come to preach the gospel to us. And she wasn't saying that as a herald. Um, she wasn't saying that as a blessing. She was mocking them. And the Bible says this caused Paul to be vexed in his spirit. To give you an example, could you imagine being on the street and you're witnessing and as you're witnessing, somebody's barking behind you. That's a man of God right there. He's come to preach to you. He's come to tell you about you. And you're trying to witness to somebody. Right? You have to guard your heart from turning around and pimp slapping somebody. <laughs> or saying something, you know, not nice. And Paul took the high road and cast the spirit out of her, and we know the rest of the story. But that's where we see the spirit of the python in full-fledged. It's a restrictive, it's a choking spirit that chokes out any good thing that the Lord would have for his people. But the spirit of Leviathan is different, which is what I want to focus on tonight. The spirit of Leviathan is a spirit of carnality. What that means is that the standards of holiness are compromised by this spirit, and it has the ability to, to, uh, to deceive believers into thinking they are spiritually sound. Ephesians gives us a great example. 
of Leviathan being at work. And so I just thought I'd colorize the, the text. Amen. I'm not preaching on drinking and, and, and cussing tonight, but people who drink and cuss walk in carnality. They walk into the church too uh, every, every week. 2 Timothy 3, 5 speaks of carnality, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. How do you deny the power of godliness? Well, one of the ways you do that is when it comes to spiritual things, you take matters into your own hands. Our default is to take care of it ourselves. Um, We don't immediately rush um, into prayer or consider what God is saying. This could be, uh, this varies by degrees, amen. I love asking teenagers, you know, hey, what are you gonna do when you get out of high school? Well, I'm thinking I'm gonna go to school, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, and thank God for that, but I never hear, well, I'm gonna pray and see what God wants me to do. What happened? How did you pay off that bill? Well, you know, bro, I had to do it, man. I had to go and I had to go get a payday loan and, and I had to pay this thing off. I had to call grandma, you know, and, and this and this and that. and none of them. Well, what about praying? When's the last time that you actually tithed and gave? It's very subtle, but it's, it's very, very devastating. You have a form of godliness. You look or you appear or maybe you even sound holy but you deny the power. And the Bible says, turn away from such people. Another example um, of this form of godliness, uh, maybe you've read in the Old Testament, is the young prophet and the old prophet. The young prophet was sent by God. He was sent to preach the gospel um, and bring judgment upon a king. The Bible says the pulpit uh, was uh, cut in half, uh, the altar, excuse me, was cut in half by God and ashes all over the place. And, 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 and the king is like, oh, I need to, you know, I, I want to pay you. I want to bless you, you know, trying to get some mercy. And he said, no, no, no. God told me not even to eat with you. I come, I have a message from God, and this is what you need to get yourself together. This is, I'm just paraphrasing here. But the key there, what the scripture held on to, is he was supposed to go there, and he was not supposed to eat. He wasn't supposed to do anything. He was supposed to do what he was supposed to do, and then go home. Well, an old prophet heard that he was in town, and the old prophet comes and says, hey, you know, why don't you come to my house and eat? And the young prophet said, no, no, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to eat. And then the old prophet says, well, I'm a prophet too, and God spoke to me and told me to tell you to come. And the word of God says he was lying. But who would accuse an old prophet of lying? He had a form of godliness. And if you know, if you're familiar with the story, he actually believes the old prophet. He goes to eat. And when he sits down to eat, God fills fills the old prophet with the spirit of the Lord and pronounces judgment on the young man. And a lion was waiting on him and killed him on his way home. This is Leviathan at work. First Corinthians five, verse nine through eleven. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. In other words, what what Paul is saying, hey, you know, you you don't need to uh, give audience to this. I'm not talking about people on the outside. He said, but, I, but now I have written to you, verse 11, not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater, reviler or a drunkard or extortioner, 
Don't even uh, uh, befriend them on social media. Oh, no, that's not what it says. Don't, don't even eat with such a person. This spirit is alive and well in the church world, unfortunately. And I'm here to declare that Leviathan must be stopped because it has the potential to destroy any church. Consider with me first that carnality is idolatry. First Samuel 15, verse 1 through 3, Samuel the prophet said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you, king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of God. Amen. That's good stuff. Amen. Listen to what God is saying. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel and how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare. Kill both man and woman, infant, nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. You move down to verse 7. The Bible says, and King Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, oxen and fatlings, the lambs and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. But if you notice, King Saul not only disobeyed Samuel's orders, but when he was confronted about it, he argued that he in fact did do what Samuel told him to do. This is the danger of carnality. What many call rebellion and disobedience, others in carnality will call faith and holiness. This is the bedrock of carnality. Many people can easily develop their own preconceived ideas about what is holy and what is not. The standards are lowered or eliminated completely, and somehow this is acceptable to God. I remember being a, a younger convert in, in Colleen. This is years ago. And I remember this family started coming to our church, and uh, the dad, he was a really, really good guitar player. And uh, over time, uh, he asked to be in ministry. And so, uh, you know, just anybody asked to be in any type of platform ministry, just, I, I, just like I do here, I sit them down, you know, I give them the ministry, uh, you know, paper and everything. Because if you're going to minister here, there's, there's an obligation. Amen. There's a contract. There's a I promise to be and I promise to do. Hello, somebody. Amen. You don't be in ministry because you come once a month and join our basketball team. Okay, we need spiritual people in, in, in ministry. I mean, you understand what I'm saying? And so, you know, the standards were explained to him, et cetera. But over time, people noticed that he wasn't following the standards. And people in the church, amen, which is why I believe Colleen is so powerful, is because a uh, pastor's not the only person that confronts people. Uh, uh, the people confront people too. And they say, hey, man, what's going on, dude? What, what are you doing? And his answer is, well, that doesn't really apply to me. This is how I was taught. And his lack of prayer in the morning caught Pastor Piper's attention, and Pastor Piper confronted him about it. And they had an argument about it. And finally, Pastor, Pastor Piper, amen, if you, if you ever get a chance to meet him, he was something else. He said, if you're not going to adhere to the standards, then you can't minister here. 
Amen. And this guy, furious, he and his family, they left the church. What happened? Leviathan happened. There are people who worship at the altar of carnality and they defend it while making excuses for their lack of spiritual devotion or their level or method of spiritual devotion is set uh, them alone. You know, it's us against them. And no one can tell them otherwise. James 4 verse 17, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. To be carnally minded is to be an enemy of God. I believe it's Romans 8 that tells us this. He sets things and people in place to guide and stabilize us in our walk with him. Unfortunately, there are many who disagree with this truth and even fight against it. Many of these people you can find among church hoppers. Professional conference goers. They go to every conference. The secret fellowshippers, the silent protesters. And what they fail to understand is the big picture. While worshiping carnality, it is destroying all that they love and all that they care about. And the deception is they actually think they're right. King Saul felt justified for his actions. And if you follow him in the word of God, it later cost him his life. Because through carnality, he began to give himself to things that he said he would never do. Do you ever read where he's trying to pray to God and God's not listening to him anymore? He's so desperate that he goes and he inquires of a witch. The Bible talks about the witch in Endor. Now, you know you're in trouble where, you know, you got to go stop by uh, the curandera. You know you're in trouble. Amen. You know, rub some beads and and, and throw some bones on on a plate for me and tell me the future. You know you're in trouble. Because we as believers, we pray. We seek the Holy One of God. Nowhere do you read this man desiring to repent. Why would you repent if you don't feel that you need to? Why come to the altar when you don't feel that you need to? This is the deception of the Leviathan spirit. Consider with me uh, secondly, I know already. You know, I've seen people captivated by the spirit and they are the ones who constantly or consistently say, I know. In other words, there is nothing you can share or speak into their lives that they do not know already. Knowing is one thing, but implementation is totally different. James 2 verse 17, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, what James is saying is faith um, without putting it into practice is meaningless. We can talk all we want to, but until we actually do what our mouth is saying, then it really doesn't matter. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. For this is he who is spoken by the prophet Isaiah, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. uh, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Later on in that same chapter of Matthew 3, verse 7. John the Baptist saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism uh, and, and he says to them, amen, you know, what, what, what's the language today? Uh, John the Baptist had no chill. Uh, he said, you brood of vipers, <laughs> who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
He said, therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance. He said, show me what you got. I'm not impressed by your little church hat. I'm not impressed by your suit and your tie. Show me some humility. This is what he's saying. Verse 9, he said, do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is at the root of the trees and every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Amen. John the Baptist was a preacher and he confronted the religious all the time and so did his cousin Jesus. You know, John wasn't preparing the way for the Messiah to rescue pure sinners only. John was preparing the way of the Lord for those who believed that they were already right. You got to understand, before John, there was no other prophet for 400 years. God says, I'm not talking to you anymore. There was no revelation at all. God refused to talk to mankind. before. This is why I don't preach or never will preach or approve of the apocryphal books. Because God wasn't speaking in those times. That's man's revelation. That's not God's revelation. John the Baptist comes and the first words that come out of his mouth, so to speak, is repent. I know. I know already. These religious folks actually thought they were walking in the statutes of God by following rules and rituals. Their hearts had been far from God for so long, they didn't even realize it. And this is the problem with people that are filled with carnality. It is a life unchallenged by hell, and it makes them believe that they're in the right. You know, armed with that mindset, standards and convictions fall off one by one. Next thing you know, you're giving yourself to things you swore you'd never give yourself to. It's probably one of the reasons that inspired me to label it cussing Christians and sipping saints. Because how can you justify that? You know, mature Christians, they cuss. You know, what's wrong with having a beer or two every now? You know, I need to relax. What happened to prayer? What happened to coming and talking to me? I'm your pastor, aren't I? No, you're my brother. I know. No, I'll talk to you when I'm ready, Lamont. I've been around a long time, dude. As a younger Christian, it always puzzled me why people, a person or a family, once they either, whether they were removed from ministry or whether they voluntarily stepped, immediately they changed the way they dress. They go out and buy the biggest television they can find. They start attending movies. They stop tithing. It's like, I mean, I, from, they, they, they're no longer in ministry Wednesday. By, by Sunday, they're watching the latest film in the, in the, in the movies. What happened? Why is it so fast? I can see if that, you know, after years or, you know, and it kind of, you know, how many understand what I'm saying? You know, less and less, little by little, you know, like water flowing over cedar chips. No, this is immediate, like, whoa, I'm so glad. Well, what led to the end of that ministry and their effectiveness was carnality was the undercurrent all the time. Now it has the opportunity to manifest itself in some of these people. The devil backs off because they are no longer fruitful and they are no longer a threat. That's why, you know, the first few months or something after, you know, people disassociate, they disengage. Ain't no problem. 
No problem. Start making more money. Things are going, things are going good now. Well, of course it is. You're no longer a threat. You're no longer a threat. Amen. There are women, there are men and women in this church right now. You're going through hell right now. You're going through hell, man. You're fighting whether it's sickness, whether it's, a, a, you know, maybe your kid is sick. Maybe you got financial struggles and, you know, not, not, not financial struggles of your own. It's like, man, you know, and you're, you're binding the, the devourer. You're rebuking the devourer. You're laying before God. You're trying to keep your mind together. You're trying to hold your ministry. I mean, it's like it's a fight every single day. Why? Because the devil is absolutely frightened of you. He's scared of you. And he knows that Jesus is coming. He knows that Jesus is going to come and save the day because you have been investing spiritually. But carnal people, uh, it doesn't matter. I was like, well, what about so-and-so? We need to take him out. Ah, they just come to church. Don't worry about them. That's how, that's, that, that, that's how that goes. That's how that goes. You have about as much. They, they, these people have about as much impact as somebody taking a broom to sweep back the Atlantic Ocean. And so unlike many of us who may waste our time on fruitless things, uh, the devil won't waste his time. He's only going for the head of the snake. He's only going after those that are effective. It's a perfect cocktail for disaster. Here's a chilling example of what I'm talking about tonight. John 13, verse 26 and 27, Jesus answered it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. That's a very, very sobering thought if you think about that. I can understand Abalam. I can understand Pazuzu. I can understand Apollyon. But Satan himself, that's pretty intense. Matthew Henry says this about, about Judas. He said, the devil whereupon took possession of him, verse 27, after he sopped, Satan entered into him, not to make him melancholy or drive him distracted, which was the effect of possessing some, not to hurry him into the fire nor into the water. Happy had it been for him that that would have been the worst of it or if with the swine had been choked in the sea, but Satan entered him to possess him with a prevailing prejudice against Christ and the Lord's doctrine and a contempt of him as one whose life was of small value to excite him a covetous desire of wages of unrighteousness and a resolution to stick at nothing for the obtaining of them. But observe, was not Satan in him before? This is what reformists would argue. How then is it said that now Satan has entered him? Well, Judas was all along a devil, a son of perdition, but now Satan has gained a more full possession of him. Had a more abundant entrance into him. He purpose, his purpose, excuse me, to betray his master was now ripened into a fixed resolution. Now he returned with seven other spirits more wicked than himself. You know, and may God deliver us if we ever find ourselves in a place like this. Because listen to me tonight, church, Judas truly thought he knew so much better. Jesus wasn't the Messiah that he pegged him out to be. I mean, think about it. Not once did Jesus ever speak of overthrowing the Romans. Not once. He never spoke of kingship. 
He never spoke of this posterity for himself or his followers. He never said that. Right. Remember, James and John, uh, they brought their mom to church one service um, and she was bold enough to ask Jesus, hey, when you get into your kingdom, she's thinking he's going to establish himself in Rome. When you get into your kingdom, I do, all I ask is that my boys sit on the right and the left hand. Because in their mind, they're thinking, Jesus, he's doing all these miracles. He's got all this wisdom. God must be behind him. He's going to overthrow these these Romans. I'm tired of these white folks. Amen. We're no different. We're no different back then than we are today. It's the same. There's black people out there that believe that. that we're just going to have a black revolution. We're just going to destroy all these white folks. It's ridiculous. But this is the same spirit in which they rode in. It's like, hey, God's going to set us up. And Judas is watching this go down. Jesus tells people, he heals people and says, don't tell anybody. What do you mean you don't tell anybody? You're the Lord. I followed you. And Satan is sitting back and saying, hmm, I got one. I believe I can feed him that through the spirit of Leviathan. He doesn't take money given to him. And if he does, he either gives it away or only uses it for conventional needs. He has no political prowess. He, he's not on the, the up and coming. He's going to take, you know, challenge Caesar and all this. And, you know, we have our first uh, Jewish uh, incumbent. Jesus doesn't want any of that. He's talking about the kingdom. He's not talking about fleshly things. This is what bothered uh, uh, the Magi in the very beginning uh, when they met Herod. The reason why they met Herod first uh, is because they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the palace. Uh, they would have never even dreamed uh, that he would be born to a bunch of teenagers that couldn't afford a room. Because Jesus uh, is the epitome of humility. And Judas wasn't getting, he wasn't getting down with that. He may have thought to himself, well, what about me? What about my future? Did I tag along with the wrong group? Have I made a horrible mistake? I've got to do something. And if handing him over to the authorities is what I got to do, so be it. He thought he was right. Something has to change in my favor, says Leviathan. This is about me. This is the voice of reason, the voice of common sense. This is the voice of carnality when it's driven by self-preservation or self-exaltation. And there are far too many Christians who live with this line of thinking. I wrote some things down that I want to share with you. Maybe this can give you some perspective. Children's church. School for church kids. Mental health programs. Prison ministry. Homeless ministry. College funding, singles ministry, food pantries, community services, crisis centers, English classes, just to name a few. These are great programs. But if these programs are the only reason why people attend church, they've missed it entirely. They've missed church entirely. Second Peter 3, verse 3 through 5, knowing this first, the scoffers will come in the last days. According to their own lust, saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, everything continues as it was from the beginning. But for this, they willfully forget. 
Unfortunately, there are many who join church thinking one thing only to be surprised by the reality of another. Look at our church for an example. Look at the youth in here. Amen. We got music. It's exciting. Our song service is energetic. The outdoor ministry, the, the, the impact, you know, we're going we're gonna to impact team to, to Baytown, you know. We've got Pastor Gary King coming in from Tucson. He's going to give us a, a teen rally in July, and then he's going to do a healing crusade in Baytown. Yeah, we're going to do that. You know, we're going to go. You know, I'm, I've been talking about Dominican. Um, I was in Jamaica not too long ago preaching the gospel, seeing people say, yeah, you know, I mean, people come in for the first time. Maybe they hear us speaking tongues up, and we're all caught up. But the longer you stick around, the longer people stick around, they get challenged. They get dealt with about their sin. They get asked to pitch in. Then these people soon realize that the church is not a place to be entertained, but to be intertwined. This is a place of worship. This is a place of discipleship. This is a place of commitment. And unfortunately, this can turn people off uh, who are carnal um, or self-seekers rather than Christ-seekers. And somewhere Judas forgot this. He lost his way. Forgetting that he came to Christ a broken soul. How many know that, you know, I, I can at least speak for myself. I was not God's gift to the church. Amen. I came in, I was a hot mess. I needed Jesus Christ to forgive me. You know, you ever ask people, I don't hear this anymore, but I used to ask people all the time, hey, you know, you know, you know about Jesus, you live for God. Oh, I've been, I've been, I've been saved my whole life. How? For this, we willfully forget. See, carnality is, is, is dangerous, beloved, because you can't challenge or pin these people. I know already. I know more than you do. Carnality is dangerous, my friend, and it can cause people to justify things unimaginable, like cussing and drinking. What's wrong with it? Here's my favorite. I don't feel bad when I do it. So if I don't feel bad, then there's no conviction. You know, I never felt bad stealing at a store. I never felt bad lying to my mom. The only time I felt bad was when I got caught. Not feeling bad didn't make it any more holy. <laughs> Why do these so-called rules apply to me? That, that's the voice of carnality. See, because carnality doesn't care about others. Carnality doesn't care about the health of the church. It isn't concerned about testimony, which is the only way we can overcome Satan, the blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony. Carnality is only out to please self and will justify all the way, even using and perverting scriptures to do so. Carnality is very dangerous, which is why I want to preach this tonight as a preventive maintenance. Amen. Because this spirit exists and these people flock our churches and flock churches in the church world thinking they are absolutely justified and they couldn't be no closer to the truth then the sun is to, is to earth. I mean, you know, it's just like this big distance. So we need to be free from carnality. Amen. That, that sounds like good doctrine tonight. Now, the short answer to be free from carnality is Jesus Christ. His blood, his forgiveness, enough said. 
right? <laughs> we get, get our hearts right with God, glory to God. However, there are levels to carnality that need to be addressed and dealt with in order to be truly delivered from it all. What it means to be free from carnality is that we not only pray, but we maintain our freedom. And this is only possible through establishing dominion. Dominion is the right to rule. Amen? Who has the right to rule? Is it your emotions? Is it Father God? Is it your circumstances? Is it your past? Is it, who has the right to rule? Because whoever's ruling our lives, that's how we process life. When It doesn't matter what comes through. It's going to come through that filter. What that also means is we have to judge carnality on a consistent basis. One of the more popular scriptures in the Bible as I close is 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Because the weapons of our warfare, amen, the weapons of your warfare, hallelujah. See, they're not carnal, but they are mighty. Mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and imaginations that exalt itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I was sharing this with somebody. So, you know, sometimes, well, not sometimes, every day, I don't care where I am or what I'm doing, I have to stop and just speak in tongues. I just, you know, like apple a day keeps the doctor away, speaking in tongues, just keep my mind, you know, I can feel my mind going there. You ever felt that? Feel your mind going there? You know, like, nope, 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 nope. If it gets real bad, then I need to start worshiping. Or I'm going to call somebody, hey, man, what you doing? I ain't doing nothing. Where you are now, we're going to go hang out. Because if I'm with you, then I'm safe. The 99 are, are, are cool. It's the one. Hello, somebody. I'm not going to cut myself. I don't need nobody. I don't, they don't like me no way. Blah, 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 blah. That's the aim of Leviathan, beloved. But it goes on in verse 6. It says, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Our obedience is fulfilled through repentance. We come and repent. God, forgive me. Set me free. Now you're ready. So let's walk through this key to freedom. Number one, our, this scripture here says we walk in the flesh. We traffic in fleshly things. Amen. We're surrounded by fleshly appetites. We're surrounded by fleshly desires, people, circumstances. The list goes on and on. The battle is constant because there isn't a time or place where we remove our flesh. That's not happening until we get to heaven. So until we get to heaven, we got to deal with this thing. I really appreciate Pastor Campbell. He said this years ago. He said, flesh, just let me go. <laughs> get off me. Amen. Because it's constant. Number two says, we do not war according to. Jesus prayed to the Father to keep his disciples in the world, not to remove them from it. In other words, although there's flesh we have to deal with, um, our solution with the flesh uh, our solutions are pointless. We cannot defeat spiritual problems with natural weapons. I cannot medicate myself over a bottle of beer while I'm trying to deal with problems at home. 
because all you got is somebody that has problems at home and then you just added a drunk to it. No, I just need a little bud to ease my mind. Well, that's a natural weapon because the intention is to either escape or figure out some type of solution. And if you if you live life long enough, you realize that these methods don't work. So we don't war according to the flesh. I'm not reaching for fleshly answers to my spiritual problems. But the weapons we have, number three says, are mighty, but they are mighty through God. They are not mighty through our longevity in the church. They're not mighty through our puny little revelation. They're not mighty through our experiences. They are mighty through God. I am who I am because of God. I have dominion because of God. Amen. I talk about being married longer than some of you have been alive. Well, I've been saved longer. Amen. If you are under 32 years old, raise your hand. Okay, I've been saved longer than you've been alive. Whoop-de-doo. I can go to hell tomorrow. Amen. You know, Mr. Fancy Pants Preacher, you think you got it all going on because you got this resume. Jesus ain't impressing my resume. Let me tell you something else. Satan ain't either. Hello, somebody. Y'all ever read Acts 19? These guys, it was seven against one. And they're sons of the prophet. In the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, we command you to come. Man, that demon said, well, you know, I know about Paul. And I know Jesus. Um, who you? Jumped off the bed and whooped all of them. And sent them down the street, butt naked and bleeding. I ain't making this up. Read it. Because they tapped into their own. Our weapons are mighty through God. Number four, arguments and every high thing. These are mindsets. Some are uh, deposited by fiery darts. Amen. You ever been in a prayer room and all of a sudden just a flood of cuss words just come through your mind? Like, where in the world did that come from? What's that all about? Or maybe you remember some old movie or some old magazine that you read when you were like, I'm not even thinking about that. You know, the devil just in case just right? You get a text from a girlfriend or a boyfriend you had way back in middle school, high school. It's like, how'd you get my number? It's fiery darts. So sometimes these arguments and mindsets come that way. Others are self-inflicted, I know. But these must be dealt with in Christ. Number five, carnality is conquered through godly obedience. I read 1 Samuel 17 earlier tonight, and in that scripture, Samuel tells Saul that obedience is better than sacrifice. Nothing magnanimous, nothing extraordinary, simply doing what God tells you to do. And most of the time, God will tell you what to do through yours truly. That's my job. That's my job. Well, you miss God. We'll see. Number six, being ready to punish all disobedience. See, this is a constant thing. You must be ready to rebuke what is against God and his word at work in your life. And so we cannot make excuses or exceptions for ungodly things. Because slowly but surely, it'll destroy our faith 
eventually our testimony and its effectiveness. That's right. You and I must judge this spirit that is so readily active and awaiting to just manifest itself in our lives. We, 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 can't, we can't give him a foothold. Can you say amen? And see, Jesus can and he will set people free that surrender to him because victory belongs to you. It belongs to me. This is, you know, Satan has no right to hold that from you. Has no right to hold that. When our minds are made up to serve him, and I'm telling you tonight, take your place in his presence. This dominion isn't the result of a formula. It is the outflow of a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and hearts for a moment. Hallelujah.